Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, we're in our series called Encounters. We're talking about encounters uh, with Jesus. And um, last week, Rob Bashan did a fantastic job talking to us about an encounter with redemption. And uh, this week, I want to talk to you about another encounter. Uh, last fall, I was in, uh, in, in the state of Montana. I was speaking at a, a pastor's conference. There were pastors there from Idaho and Montana and North and South Dakota, Wyoming. Uh, day two of the conference, as I'm speaking, a pastor from Wyoming comes up and says to me, hey, Steve, w- would you be willing to come and speak at my church in Wyoming? Now, as he's asking the question, I'm thinking to myself, uh, boy, I, you know, I don't know my schedule, if I could get down to Wyoming. And as I'm having these thoughts, he says to me, and, and if you'll come, uh, I, I want to take you some of this premium trout, fish, tr- trout fishing uh, streams there. One stretch of water called the, the Miracle Mile. And uh, as he's talking about the trout fishing, I knew that this is a sign from God. It's got to be. Um, and uh, so I quickly said yes to the opportunity. And uh, the conference wrapped up. We double-checked to make sure the dates would work. And we chose the last week of March 2020, spring break. And y- you know uh, what what's been happening here, especially in the March spring break. Um, I had purchased tickets. We had been having conversations about anticipating what flies to get, what to bring, and all of that was uh, was canceled. And of course, didn't make the trip to Wyoming in the end of March to speak there. And uh, and and yet, in that last week of March, I, I noticed I'm getting text messages from this guy, and he's sending me pictures of the fish he's catching. Uh, it's kind of like rubbing the salt in the wound. And I'm like, seriously, you're, you're sending me pictures of the, of the fish that I would have been catching? And, um, and I, we, we had a good chuckle about that. Um, but like you, uh, I've had some things that have been, uh, been, been canceled, delayed, things that interrupted. You had trips, uh, spring break time that were interrupted. You had, uh, it's your senior year of high school. And that's been uh, interrupted. Uh, lots of things that have been disrupted in our lives in these days. And, um, and you know, when I was a kid, I can't remember who said it to me, but they, they said this not very uplifting phrase. They said, there's two things you can count on in life, death and taxes. Um, there's your uplifting word for the day. <laughs> um, but both have to do with loss. Of course, loss of physical life and then loss of income. And, and you could say that, in this life, you will experience loss. Again, not exactly the encouraging word maybe you're hoping to hear this morning, but it's true. In this life, you will encounter loss. Now, there's two major categories of loss. There's the the things we say, that's ah, not that big of a deal. You know, the the, the fishing trip, trip that got canceled. Um, and uh, they put them in a category of insignificant, insignificant loss. Uh, you apply for a job and never got a call back. You tried out for a part in the play, and they chose somebody else. Uh, you're single, and you're happy to be single. Uh, yet there are people in your life who keep trying to fix your singleness like it's a problem. And it just sort of, you know, when it you get a lot of these things happening at the same time, uh, it, it begins to accumulate, and those insignificant losses, can that they can, they can mount up uh, and, and get a little heavy. Uh, and then there's also the, the significant losses in life. 
you know, you, you, uh, you and your spouse have an appointment with a doctor and the doctor tells you, you're not going to be able to have children. You've been married for 61 years and your husband doesn't even remember who you are anymore. Um, uh, you, you have someone right now who you love is in a hospital and you, you're not able to even visit them. Um, there are losses in life. There are the ones that you would call insignificant, and then there are the ones who are the significant losses. One for me that I'd put in the significant category, I'm 10 years old, I'm in boarding school in Malaysia, and my brother and I get summoned to uh, the apartment of our dorm parents. Uh, we have no idea what's going on. We, we get in there, and then they take us into the back bedroom, they shut the door, and uh, we're wondering if we, we're, we've done something wrong, we're in trouble, and um, the dorm parent begins to, to read a telegram that my father has sent to me, informing us that my grandmother uh, has lost her battle with cancer and she's passed away. And we grieved and we sobbed and we cried. Grandma was a missionary kid, grew up in the Tibetan border, and then my grandma and grandpa, missionaries in Southwest China and then Vietnam and Hong Kong and... Um, that was a heavy loss for me as a 10-year-old at boarding school. Didn't get to go to a funeral. And you have your stories of your significant losses in these days um, and maybe in, in the past as well. You know, I've, I've had this aha moment. Uh, it, it's this, that our culture, Western culture, American culture, our culture uh, teaches us quite effectively how to acquire and accumulate, but offers very little wisdom when it comes to experiencing what to do when you experience loss. American culture teaches us very effectively of how to acquire and accumulate, but offers very little wisdom when we experience loss. In fact, uh, when we do experience loss, uh, we, we perhaps even adopted some, uh, some false narratives. Um, let me uh, read some of them for us. Um, they'll be on the screen for you. Uh, you're a kid, you fall down, and uh, maybe someone says to you these words, don't feel bad, big boys don't cry. Translation, weeping is for wimps, be strong. Or you, you have a, a loss in life and someone says, you don't feel bad, others actually have it worse than you. Translation, grieve alone, stuff it. Another person says, uh, when you experience loss, maybe it's a, a toy that's broken as a kid, or maybe there's a pet that passes away. And, and don't feel bad. We'll, we'll, we'll get a new one. Translation, replace the loss. Or don't feel bad. Time heals all wounds. Translation, ignore it. it, it it'll go away. Or don't feel bad. Just stay busy and active. Translation, Distract yourself. Just, just kind of take your attention off the loss. Well, I want to talk to you about those losses in life. And I just want to say that in this life, you and I, we will experience loss. We're, we're all grievers. And I want to just look at someone in Scripture that we typically don't look at this time of year, a little bit, but most of the time we, we, we focus on this person at Christmas time. I'm talking about Mary. I'm talking about Mary and uh, the announcement of, of the fact that she's going to be pregnant, the Annunciation, as theologians call it. And I want to talk to you about the losses that Mary experienced. And, and just 
highlight a few of them, and then talk to us about maybe some biblical wisdom or things we could learn from Mary about how to, how to handle the losses in life, what to do when we encounter grief. And so what I want to do, if I want to, I want to read uh, from Luke chapter 1 uh, here and uh, read a little bit about Mary and uh, her experience as she begins to hear this fantastic news about the fact that she is going to carry the Son of God. And as you hear her story, just remember that in this life, we will experience loss, and we're all grievers, and that indeed was the case for Mary. Luke 1, verse 26, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. I love Henry Osawa Tanner, the, the African-American painter, how he sort of imagines this moment of Gabriel showing up uh, to Mary and this, just the, the, how he captures the scene there. And you, you know the story. Uh, you know how the story continues because Mary, when, the, when Gabriel finishes his message, Mary responds by saying, let it be unto me as you have said. And at that moment, of course, she... Um, begins to carry this child and uh, has to break the news to Joseph. And, and here's where she begins to experience some of her first losses. Uh, yes, she will experience uh, a loss of, of respect from those that she lives with in her community. Um, that's very true. People begin to question, be suspicious of her character as she is pregnant uh, before she is, is married. Um, but, th but that's not the, the, the loss, this questioning of her character that, um, that necessarily I want to I focus on. But even, even a little bit farther, though, that, that, that arises again because in Mark chapter 6, as, uh, as Jesus is, is teaching, and um, in Mark chapter 6, the, the, the writer there, Mark, says these words, then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary. Now, we would just quickly go on to the next verse. But that statement, he's just the son of Mary, was a statement that carried kind of a loaded meaning. So you didn't call someone uh, the son of their, their mother. You called, you identified them with their father. And when someone says, uh, you know, you're the son of Mary, as they did with Jesus, what they're really saying is, Jesus, we don't even really know who your father is. It's a suspicion or questioning of uh, their, their, their character. And there's kids in the room, so I'm not going to spell it out for you. I think, I think you know um, where I'm going here. Um, but, but Mary, this is a loss she, she experiences, but actually that's not the, the one I necessarily want to get to. What I want to talk about is the fact that Mary lost, uh, she, the, Mary grieved the loss of a major life event. She didn't get a wedding. Now, 
Weddings in Jewish culture are very different than weddings in our culture. In our culture, there's there's a wedding, maybe it's in the afternoon, perhaps it's in the evening. Uh, There's a ceremony, there's a reception, and the couple heads off perhaps to an exotic uh, destination. Maybe it's a week, two weeks, three weeks, perhaps. And that, that's fairly common in our culture. But in, in, in that day, first century Israel, uh, the culture would have been that, uh, yes, a ceremony would have taken place, but there would have been a all-week party. There would have been dancing and food and wine and more dancing and more food and, and more wine. And that couple would have been treated as royalty, And there's no doubt in my mind that when Mary was a little girl and she went to some of these weddings in her own neighborhood, in her own village, that she, as a young woman, maybe eight, nine, 10 years old, was thinking to herself, you know what? Someday that will be me. And yet it never happened. Mary didn't get a wedding. She had to grieve the loss of a major life event. In fact, if you, if you think about it, fast forward a little bit, and now Mary's married to Joseph, and she has children. Uh, she has four sons, uh, two daughters, as we, as we learn from Scripture. Um, she goes to weddings. We know in John chapter 2, she's at the wedding in Cana, and that's the wedding where Jesus turns the water into wine. And I would just... I would think that as she's at these weddings, that it's reminded, uh, this, 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 these weddings are a reminder to, who, to her that this never took place. She never got a wedding. And it's a loss of a major life event. Look, friends, some of you have experienced the loss of a major life event in these days. You're grieving the fact that you were gonna travel with your mom, you were gonna travel with your dad to go visit some colleges. Um, and those trips are not going to happen as you were anticipating choosing schools for your freshman year of college. It's your senior year of high school, and uh, you had pictured in your mind this, this last semester looking so very different, and it's a loss of a major life event. You had a trip planned during spring break. Um, we, we could think through all these different kind of losses and That's what Mary experienced. And uh, you know the emotions that you're feeling in these days. And so I think you can imagine the emotions that Mary would have been feeling as she experienced this major loss in her life. The second uh, loss that uh, that Mary uh, has in her life is Mary has has to grieve the loss of a believing family. Uh, She has a, a, a faith in God as her family does, but she also knows who Jesus is. And yet we know from Scripture that her family did not believe Jesus was who he said he was. I'll pick it up here in in Scripture um, as we see this in John chapter 7, where it says, Soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. The brothers of Jesus didn't didn't believe that, that he was the Messiah. Mary knew the peculiar pain of living in a household with differing religious viewpoints. Uh, Mary 
had to navigate those emotions and, and, and at the same time try to win over the hearts of those in her family that didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he, said he was and, and do that uh, without you know, being overbearing or combative. Mary grieved the loss of a believing family. Uh, a little bit later in scripture, we are told of a story that, that some of the family of Jesus went to go and, and get him and get a hold of him and bring him back home because they thought he'd lost his mind. And undoubtedly, undoubtedly, his brothers were a part of that group that went to go get him. My guess is that as you're watching this morning that uh, you maybe one who also has grieved the loss of a believing family. You had a dream. You, you, you raised your kids, and they went to Sunday school. They were in vacation Bible school. They sang in the children's choir, but somewhere in middle school and high school, maybe college, um, the, the, that faith that you were trying to impart to them didn't become their own. And this has been a loss that you have been carrying, and it's been difficult, and you've grieved it. Or, um, or maybe it's a spouse that you have hoped would, would discover who Jesus is. Perhaps you're the only child in your family that believes in Jesus and you long for siblings or you long for mom and dad or grandma and grandpa to, um, to put their faith in Christ and know the joy and the peace that you have. And yet this has not been realized. And, and like Mary, who grieved the loss of a believing family, you too are walking through that, that loss in your life. Friends, in this life, we will experience loss, and we're all grievers. Mary grieved the loss of a major life event, and Mary grieved the loss of a believing family, and, and yes, Mary grieved the loss of a child. We're at the front end of, of Holy Week, and so and maybe you expected me to, to bring up this fact about, uh, about the death of Jesus. Well, um, you know, when it comes to Mary and when it comes to this whole idea of a loss, um, you, you know, I, I can't help but think of when I became a parent for the first time. Here's the, here's the fact of when you become a parent. You open yourself up to all kinds of joy. I go back and I think in, in my life to uh, memories with my kids, you know, driving in a van on a, on a road trip or camping together or just having dinner around a dinner table and entering into some family conversation starters and laughing and enjoying and seeing the kids smile. And you, man, boy, I tell you what, when you become a parent, you just open your heart up to so much uh, joy and satisfaction in your children. But you also open up your heart to pain. I clearly remember moments where my, my oldest daughter, I was, I was holding her and she was struggling with asthma. I had asthma as well as a kid. And so I know the struggle of trying to catch your breath. And uh, I, thankfully, the Lord healed me in high school from asthma. Uh, but, but my daughter was struggling. And I was in those moments when she was, um, in some cases, even, even losing consciousnesses. I'm driving as fast as I can to get her to a hospital so she can get treatments to open up airways in her lung. And then I recognized that look of panic in her eyes and just thought to myself, in a moment, I would change places with her. I also remember driving behind an ambulance as another daughter um, dealt with a head injury. There was a skull fracture and the question the, the, everyone was wondering was, was there a brain bleed? 
And again, I thought to myself, I would, I would in a moment trade places with, with her so that she wouldn't have to go through this pain. Uh, my, my oldest son, Chase, I, uh, I remember clearly being in a, in a hospital in China and doctors giving us the difficult news that there was a bone infection and they were wondering if uh, a leg needed to be amputated and just thinking about the horror of that experience and what that would be like having to uh, walk that through with a child. I can also think of a, another moment with my youngest son, Cal, and um, raging fever, uh, very sick, body listless in my arms as I'm rocking him, trying to comfort him. And just seeing your children in pain, uh, just bringing so much pain into your own life. And, and yet in each of those scenarios that I play out for you, I didn't have to experience what Mary experienced. She experienced the loss of a child and she had to watch her son be publicly tortured and executed. You know, um, early on in Mary's life, after, shortly after Jesus was born, there was a prophet named Simeon who was in the temple. They were taking Jesus to be dedicated there and this older man said these words to Mary and Joseph. They said, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. I can't help but think that in this moment, when Mary is watching her son be insulted and mocked and ridiculed, spat upon, punched, and then hands pierced, feet pierced, carrying a crown of thorns on his head, nailed to a Roman cross. I can't help but think that Mary in that moment remembered those words of Simeon, a sword will pierce your own very soul. She obviously remembered because when Luke was interviewing her for his gospel, he recorded the words. Mary grieved the loss of a child. Yes, yeah, she grieved a loss of a major life event, the loss of a believing family, but the loss of a child. And she wept at the cross. And the fact of the matter is, is some of you know that pain. You know the pain of losing a child. You can, you can identify with that grief that Mary uh, carried with her. And, um, and in this life, we will experience loss. Some we put in the category of insignificant, not that big of a deal, but even the ones we would say is not that big of a deal, sometimes they can add up and accumulate and become heavy. Yet sometimes it's, it's, it's the major losses, it's the significant losses, the big losses in life. And, and again, um, we don't, I don't think we know very well how to grieve as people living in our culture. So what do we do? What wisdom would scripture offer to us when we experience loss? Some of you are experiencing significant loss today. That with this whole coronavirus chapter of our lives has, has taken things from you. So how do we process our grief? And can, can I just say right from the very, very outset, just say, for some of us, we just need a good cry. We just need to acknowledge the emotions that we're feeling. Like Mary, 
at the cross or perhaps Mary at night when her kids are all tucked in or when the kids are now older and, and, and they're not believing in Jesus, just to acknowledge the, the, the emotional heaviness of that experience. Or perhaps even just acknowledging that, you know, that event didn't take place that I'd longed to, to be at. And man, I just, that stunk. I, I didn't like that. And acknowledging the emotions that are coming. Some of us just need a good cry. And the second thing I would say to us is that I think we need to pay attention to the impact loss has on our faith in Jesus. You, you heard me say a little bit earlier that uh, in, in Western culture, American culture, our culture, culture teaches us quite effectively how to acquire and accumulate, but offers little wisdom to those who experience loss. And this is where the majority world actually can instruct us very well. There are many places in our world where loss is happening at greater levels of frequency than what we've experienced or what I've experienced. And um, I think we need to pay attention uh, to the majority world and, and how they may offer some wis wisdom to us. There's a picture that's gonna pop up on the screen here. This is uh, Mbama and Tabakanya. They are uh, the refugees who've been resettled. There are new neighbors here living in Salem. And their story is that they had to flee their home in the Democratic Republic of Congo due to war and to violence. And this came at the, this, this war took the lives of those they loved, uh, houses were burnt. Um, and then they went to a refugee camp and they lived in that refugee camp for 22 years and then were resettled right here in Salem, Oregon. They attend our uh, Sunday evening international prayer gathering and um, I asked uh, Anya and Doug Holcomb, who pastor our refugee ministries, to just have a conversation with them. And what would they say to us in this season when we're going through the, the, this coronavirus chapter of our lives? What kind of counsel would they give to us? Let me read to you what they, uh, what they said. They said, God has always been faithful to us. We have been through terrible war where people were killed and our houses were burned. We have seen God rescue us, protect us, and heal us. We would like the church to remember that God is always faithful and that this too shall pass. We would like the church to, we'd like to encourage the church to depend on God, to trust in him. This is a chance for pastors, leaders, and all Christians to run to Jesus and lean into the church. We need to draw near to Jesus. The name of Jesus is more powerful, and in him we find peace, joy, and strength. See, what I, when, I, when I pose this idea of pay attention to the impact that loss has on your, your faith, what I hear Mbama and Tabakanya saying to us is, don't, this is not time to withdraw, this is time to lean in. And, and as I look at Mary, you... You know, I'm sure she had her, her moments where she was questioning what God was doing, but I don't ever see her going to a place of bitterness. She keeps leaning in. Mbama and Tabakanya are saying to us, lean in. And, and then there's these words of a Chinese theologian pastor named Watchman Nee who says this, gaining spiritual life or growing spiritually, gaining spiritual life is conditional on suffering loss. We cannot measure our lives in terms of gain. They must be measured in terms of loss. 
Our real capacity lies not in how much we retain, but in how much has been poured out. Friends, pay attention to the impact loss has on your faith. And also pay attention to the words of those who live in the majority world, who experience loss on a more frequent basis than perhaps you or I do. Our, our, our fellow brothers and sisters, some living in countries where the church is persecuted, uh, in, in the underground church, others who are because of war and violence, they, they, they have wisdom to instruct us with. Uh, the next thing I would say is this, uh, when you in, encounter loss, um, you know, you, don't try and win an Academy Award and pretend that you're fine. You're, you're not gonna find healing by pretending that your heart is broken. You're not, you're not gonna find healing that pretending that those words didn't sting. You won't find healing like, well, it'll, life will just get better. It, it's okay to grieve. In fact, I would encourage you to develop healthy community in, in such a way that people know how to mourn with those who mourn. They can rejoice with those who rejoice. They can enter in to your joy, even though perhaps that joy wasn't their experience. But they'll cry with you as well. They'll grieve with you uh, as well along the way. Um, an, another thing that I, I would say to us is, as a way to, um, to be a, a healthy griever is um, avoid uh, intellectually accurate but emotionally barren counsel. Here's what I mean by this. I'm reminded of a story of a family who had to bury a young child. And at the memorial service, someone walked up to them and said these words, said, sorry for your loss, but at least you can have more children. Of course, they were devastated. The comment, intellectually accurate, yes, they can have more children, but emotionally barren, and when we speak these words, we don't mourn, we don't weep with one another. And we offer counsel that is, is emotionally barren. Well, oftentimes what it does is it leaves those who are sad, those who are experiencing loss, it leaves them in a place of confusion, frustration, sometimes even anger, and it causes them to be emotionally isolated. One other thing I would say to us is uh, these words is, you know, if you're younger, I would encourage you, um, maybe it's someone in your home uh, maybe it's uh, someone you can connect with when we have more freedom to gather and go to a coffee house, or maybe it's a phone call with someone who's older than you, and just ask them to talk to you about the moments in life where they've experienced loss. And just listen to them. And just let them tell you of the loss that they've experienced in life and mourn with them. Today's Palm Sunday. And this is the front end of Holy Week, and Jesus is, he's, he's headed to the cross. And as he gets near Jerusalem, he looks over the city and he grieves. Uh, both Matthew and Luke capture this moment. I want to read the words for us. They write, How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I wanted to gather your children as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Jesus enters into Jerusalem and there's a, 
There's a crowd and they're cheering him on and they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and everyone's excited. But before the week is over, that same crowd will be shouting, crucify him. And I'm reminded of the fact that Jesus in the book of Isaiah is described as someone who is familiar with suffering. In fact, he's called a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. I'm so grateful that we worship a God who, yes, is almighty and powerful and nothing is impossible with him. But I'm also grateful that our God, our Jesus, also knows what it feels like to grieve. In his life, he experienced loss. And he grieved. He wept on more than one occasion. Tears flow from his eyes. I'm so thankful that as we go into our life and as we live our lives, that there is a God who understands us. He understands you in your grief and your loss. He understands mine. And I'm grateful that that's a God I can go to and I can talk to about my losses. He gets it. Let's pray together. So Lord, uh, today, we're just so thankful for uh, the many ways you've blessed us. We're thankful for the fact that, Jesus, you encounter grief. We're reminded today of your, your mother and the grief that she encountered. And Lord, thank you that, um, that you went to the to such extremes to be able to save us and to love us and make it possible for us to be in friendship together. Today, we, we worship you and we wanna say to you that uh, for many who are listening today, they, they are in a place where they are they're dealing with some difficult things or maybe it's just multiple little things that have added up and they're just weighing heavy. I thank you that you give us the freedom to grieve that we don't have to just pretend it doesn't matter and we don't just have to focus on happy thoughts, but actually, Lord, we can lean into our grief and because we lean into our grief, we can actually come to know you at a deeper level. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for being our Savior. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.